0: SeatGeek is the easiest way to find the best deals on tickets to pretty much any live event—concerts, sports, theater, comedy, whatever you want. Download the SeatGeek app today and enter promo code SEATS to save twenty dollars on your first purchase. Welcome back to the Sports Beat KC podcast. This is Jesse Newell, KUB reporter for the Kansas City Star. C.J. Moore is furiously typing stories for Bleacher Report. I don't know if we can forgive him or not. He's actually, you know, making money and doing work, unlike us right now. So, again, pinch hitter stepping up for us. Nick Schwert of the Jayhawk Radio Network and also Rock Chalk Sports Talk uh, from KLWN here in Lawrence. Nick, how you doing?
1: I'm good. I actually spent a lot of time around C.J. in Kansas City for the Big 12 tournament this past weekend. And I made sure to continually compliment him on all the work he's been doing lately. Just in hopes of it would give me another opportunity to come on with you, Jesse.
0: <laughs> I'm sure that's exactly the case. Like, CJ, you really need to keep riding. You're yeah. such a good rider. I really, really need to come on the Sports <laughs> Podcast. Exactly. Sports Beacon Podcast again. I mean, I'm sure that's all it was.
1: It, it is, man. And I told him, like, every time he was getting a quote in the locker room, I said, man, that's a great quote. I can't wait to see what you do with that one.
0: So <laughs>
1: hopefully I inspired him <laughs> a little
0: bit this past week. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that was it. Well... As you know, Nick, I mean, for a lot of people, a lot of KU fans, yesterday is like Christmas Eve. It's like a holiday. Uh, Selection Sunday is out. We now know KU's path in the Midwest region. Before we get to some of the Twitter questions, a lot of Twitter questions out there that uh, we need to get to. But I just want your first thoughts, your first reaction when you saw KU's path as the one seed uh, going from Wichita to Omaha and some of the teams that are in that region as well.
1: Well, when you ask what the path is, I I think that the the real question there, which is what I heard a lot of from people on Twitter, and you get this every year, it's, man, selection committee sure didn't do KU any favors, which they didn't because it's not their job to do KU favors. I would argue that you're the one seed in the Midwest. You're not going to have to travel more than three hours at any juncture of this tournament uh, up until the Final Four if you do make it there. So at that point, you could argue that, yeah, the, the, the committee did do you some favors. I think what most people look at is Michigan State and Duke. Important to note that there is a 0% chance that KU is going to play both of those teams. So with that being said, I, I think that having to play either one of them before the final four is is going to be tough. Because for me, those are I, I told you off the air last week that I have four teams I think can win it all. And Duke and Michigan State are two of them. So from that standpoint, it, it is pretty tough. But you get to the elite eight, you're going to have to beat good teams. Other than that, I think that when you look at the four and five seed, which for if you're a if one seed and we're looking at the immediate path, that to me is way more important than looking at the two and three because those are teams that you could potentially have to face uh, before you would even get to that point. And I think KU got arguably the best draw in terms of four and five seeds in the region with Auburn and Clemson because little spoiler alert I don't think I'm going to have either one of those teams making it to the second weekend so all in all I think it's it's pretty down the middle I I think that there are aspects where you could say that's pretty tough but I also think there are uh, an equal amount of aspects where you could say okay you got some some favorable draws.
0: Yeah, I think you're right, and you—it's almost you almost basically copied my comments from a story I wrote today <laughs> in the Star, which is is basically that there are things that I see on here that would make you worried about Ku, and there, the the one thing that opens your eyes to it, and I asked Bill Self about this yesterday, was you see Duke, you see Michigan State in your bracket, you know, three fourths of the champions' classic, and you think, wow, only one of those teams can leave, but you hit on the important point, which is Duke and Michigan State, both of those teams could have to play each other, and then Kansas whereas Kansas only has to play one of those teams, which is the huge, huge, huge advantage of being that one seed. And so I basically started off that story by saying, hey, guys, I was wrong because about a week ago I was saying, hey, one seed or two seed doesn't really matter that much, you know, all those sorts of things. No, the one seed really matters a lot for Kansas. I agree with you on the 4-5, you know, Clemson and Auburn both seem to me like a a pretty good draw for the Sweet 16 matchup. So while you watch Michigan State Duke beat up on each other, you, you have an easier matchup. And when I say easier matchup, can you still be like a, two- or three-point favor probably in that game if those teams advance, which, like you said, that might not happen based on how they performed before that. So without further ado, there are tons of questions here, Nick. A lot of people want a lot of topics talked about. So let's get immediately to those. And I want to start with this one because I think it kind of hits on what we're talking about. And a little bit I, I mentioned this in my story as well. But from the Fitz at Daddy 85 if you'd like to give him a follow, how foolish and unreasonable are the people that are picking Penn over Kansas? And so we can discuss this a little bit. My main reaction when I saw Penn on there is that, and I tweeted this out, it's the top Ken Palm team as a 16 seed in the last six seasons. It's a team that limits threes, which could give KU some problems. It's a team that shoots a bunch of threes. And we've seen instances like Oklahoma State where if that happens, even if you're not a great three-point shooting team, in a one-game sample, what you're doing is you're creating big variants. You know, KU could potentially lose a game like that or – You could win a game by 40 if Penn goes two for 40 from three-point range. So to me, it's kind of a scary matchup, but yet if you look at the projections and the projections, a lot of them would say, hey, KU's got a 90% chance to win. So I don't see many teams picking Penn, but I think it's an intriguing matchup when you start with that because it's a high-variance game, and Penn is probably a better 16 seed than there has been in, in quite some time.
1: Yeah, so that's kind of. There's multiple layers to this. The first one is where are these people that are picking Penn? Because I haven't seen anybody. And secondly, the reason why you don't see anybody, if if very many at all, is because it's never happened, right? The 16 seed's never, never beaten a one seed. And even if it is the best 16 seed, uh, there's still quite a few caveats in there that would keep you from really going too far with your predictions with Penn. I think it's fascinating because. They're coached by Steve Donahue, who used to coach at Boston College, but before that was at Cornell. And and I'm in the in the minority in this one, but whenever people ask me about the most memorable games, most memorable KU games that I've ever seen, uh, the one against Cornell in 2010 always comes to mind for me because that Cornell team was really, really good. They, they, they were the number 1 three-point shooting team in the country. They had uh, Randy Whitman's kid uh, who went off in Allen Fieldhouse. They had that big seven-footer, Jeff Foote who did a great job of neutralizing Cole Aldridge. This Penn team, though, is nothing like that Cornell team from 2010 that went to the Sweet 16. That team shot 43% from the three. Those are the the, the styles of play, the styles that teams can bring in that would scare me a little bit with KU, especially if you have a healthy Yudoka, not knowing what to do with him if you've got five guys on the court who can shoot. But again, this Penn team isn't really like that. They are small. They only have two guys on the whole roster I believe who are, are 6 foot 8 and nobody taller than 6 foot 8 but uh, they they're more of a defensive team when you as you mentioned the three point defense which brings up an interesting topic one that you and I have broached several times which is the difference between three point defense and limiting three pointers because there's a, a very I think important distinction there but it seems as though Penn does both of those things well right they yeah l- and
0: th- yeah that's that's a good point Nick because a lot of people are saying it's the second best three point defense in the nation that's inaccurate because from what we know, you can only do so much to limit three-point shots from going in. Right. A real three-point defense is getting out to the line and limiting those shots. And listen, I'm going to be just brutally honest with you here, okay? Penn is an Ivy League team, okay? <laughs> These Ivy League teams know the analytics. I mean, I was reading some quotes from him from yesterday after they faced Kansas. I was like, well, we try to avoid mid-range shots. We try to get up threes and layups. We try to prevent th- other people's threes. I mean, they're going to play in a smart way. Penn plays in a smart way. And so I think the concern for Kansas, again, we're talking about KU is 90% to win this game. So I, when I say concern, I'm not saying concern that, oh my gosh, KU is absolutely going to lose. I'm going to say concern because 116 has never happened and this is closer than most 116 matchups. The concern for Kansas is if Udoka is limited, and you mentioned it, uh, Nick, this Penn team is is limited inside. Like, if, if KU had a Thomas Robinson, I wouldn't even think twice about this game. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. just dump it inside, have him score over the top, get fouled, score 30 points, KU wins. That's not this team. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. that, this team doesn't have someone to dump it into if you're not sure about Yudoka's status. And as well as Sylvia DeSosa played, much of his production came off of stickbacks and offensive rebounds. And still, maybe there's some of that there to be had. But in other years, I think KU could maybe was a little bit more uh, what's the word, complete offensively, or it had a little bit more of, uh, it could round out, it could win with three-pointers, but it could win with inside play, that sort of thing. If you really want to stop Kansas, maybe the first thing you want to do is stop threes. And so if Penn is able to do that, I'm just saying for KU, there's a little bit of concern because they're going to have to go to an offensive style They've won with before a little bit this year, but not as comfortable as many other years because, again, with, with Yudoka's status up in the air, you just don't know if they have that dominant low post score.
1: Which, to me, brings up another interesting discussion with this Kansas team is, based off the way they played this past weekend in Kansas City, to me, I think they are very, they're much more difficult to game plan for than they were a week ago, I think, because now all of a sudden it's, okay, are you going to get this Malik Newman the rest of the year? What do we do with this Silvio guy? Is Udoka going to play? How do we game plan for that? I think if, they're, if you're Penn right now, you're, you've got a lot of things rattling around in your brain in terms of how you should prioritize what to do to stop this Kansas offense, because they did show you some different things in terms of individual guys making plays in Kansas City that we hadn't really seen all year.
0: Yeah, and if you're Penn, again, this is a smart team. What they're going to do is they're going to chuck up every three they can see, and this KU defense allows teams to shoot three. So again, when we're talking about three point defense being a team that gets out to the three point line and prevents three pointers, KU has not always been that this year. So what you're gonna see is you're gonna see a team fire away and give it its best shot. And it's it's like being at the craps table, you know? I'm if you got a bunch of money sitting on uh, you know, double ones, Snake Eyes, and you get a roll, it's probably not gonna be Snake Eyes. But you have a chance, you know what I mean? Yeah. You have got to roll with the dice. If you have a team, let's say if you, if, let's say Penn was entirely interior focused, everything they shot were two pointers, they allow a bunch of threes, like that would be a low variance game. That would be a game where, okay, KU, if KU plays like KU and Penn plays like Penn, you're gonna expect KU to win a lot of the time and not very much difference in results. But like I said, Penn could go. If Penn, if Penn shoots 35 threes, I expect him to shoot 35 threes. If Penn shoots 35 threes. They could make five of them, and KU could win by 50. Penn could make 25 of them, or maybe 25 is too many, 20. Kind of like Oklahoma State. You know, Oklahoma State's not a good three-point shooting team. Against Kansas for five halves, Oklahoma State was a great three-point shooting team, and it made up for a lot of the ills that they had offensively. So that's the scary part. And like I said, I, I say scary, but I don't necessarily mean scary in the fact that KU could still win this game by 50. It's just the outcomes are it's so wide of an outcome it's not the type of team you really want to face in the first round but i think we've already given probably too much talk to the uh, first <laughs> opponent so let's get to uh, let's get to some of the other comments here and you mentioned this a little bit from Jeffrey JBE741 he says "Will Silvio De Sosa's fantastic play this past weekend impact how self thinks about his minutes in the NCA also how great is this self quote and he said Silvio was fabulous. I mean, fabulous. I mean, he doesn't know what he's doing, but he showed everybody he can catch lobs, he can rebound, he can compete. So uh, what do you think this did for Silvio De Sosa this past weekend, this three-game stretch he had in the Big 12 tournament?
1: Well, I think Bill Self's right. I think Silvio doesn't really know what he's doing, but it's almost like ignorance is bliss a little bit, right? Like he can just kind of go out there and compete and not have to worry about doing all of these things. And one thing that he brings to this team, and and I don't want to undervalue just how important it is if it is something that can continue, is that in my mind, and I don't know if you're there yet, Jesse, but Silvio has shown me in a very limited sample size, he is the best rebounder on this team. And that is the biggest weakness for this team. Now going forward, the question becomes, can he do enough of the other stuff to justify playing him 15, 20 minutes per game? Because that, that to me, the KU's inability of to rebound the ball is the biggest reason why I would not put them in the Final Four. Because eventually, that is going to catch up with them. Now, Silvio didn't necessarily make them a better rebounding team. I just think that he is the best rebounder on this team. With the way that he attacks the ball, Like some guys I think just have a nose for it and a knack for going after the ball. He's clearly one of those dudes. But the question becomes, can you do enough other stuff? Can you not be a liability defensively to the point of Bill Self can justify putting you out there 15-20 minutes a game? So to answer the question... I think Bill Self certainly has to consider changing up the rotation, but I, I don't know what that breaking point is for him when and, and that trust factor with Silvio Quintinette.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting to me because I think Bill Self has two completely different players and what they can provide off of his bench now, assuming that Udoka can play some minutes. When you look at Mitch Lightfoot, and, and and Bill Self mentioned this, it was a tough matchup for him a couple times in the Big 12 tournament because he's a four trying to play the five. So he's trying to play up a position and that's just because KU has no other depth. However, there were instances where Mitch Lightfoot, Bill Self runs a set play, Mitch Lightfoot sets the right screens, a lob is thrown to him, he dunks it. Or Malik Newman gets an open shot. Or things flow better with KU's offense sometimes when Mitch Lightfoot's in there because he knows the playbook. He knows what he's doing out there. And again, he hasn't always... I've been perfect defensively, as you saw Bill Self on the sideline just going crazy with so many moves. He at least is a guy that, you know, he'll play the scouting report. He'll know what he's supposed to be doing out there. So that's option A. And then option B, you're talking about Silvio and not knowing what he's doing. Bill Self's absolutely right when he says that. I mean, two consecutive days he ran the same sideline on a bounce play that he's run for years and years and years. Silvio both times had no idea what he was doing. Self is just going crazy on the sideline, all those sorts of things. But again, as you said, Nick, he can make up for that with extra effort and extra, you know, because I mean, I'm looking at his numbers right now, uh, off the charts, offensive rebounding percentage. And then, as you mentioned, the best defensive rebounding percentage on the team, even though it is a small sample size, but activity, effort, uh, going after the basketball, all these things are kind of what Bill Self has tried to demand out of Udoka all season. And it's what Silvio provides without really much resistance. You know what I mean? It, It doesn't have to really be coaxed into doing that. It's still tough because, uh, having said all that, you know, uh, for for one, like Konate, can't let him go to his right shoulder. Uh, He went to his right shoulder over and over and over again against Silvio. Like, didn't know the scouting report. You know what I'm saying? It didn't hurt Ku in the end, but those are the sort of tiny things. It's kind of like Bill Self has to pick. I hate to say pick your poison because that's probably too strong, but it's like he has to pick out the situation that this calls for. Because with Mitch, you kind of know what you're going to get. You're going to get a guy that's. An undersized guy that's playing the best he can big, but knows what he's doing and will execute very well. And then you have Silvio, who has no idea what he's doing and doesn't know any play calls and limits what you can call out there. But yet he's the guy that has energy, effort uh, and uh, enthusiasm and tangibles, all those sorts of things on the court that, that he provided, obviously, throughout the course of the Big 12 tournament. So. I almost don't know if that's a a bad thing for Bilsoff to have now, which is you kind of know, based on the situation, what you might need. And you'll probably need both of those guys in certain situations, but it gives him at least another option, which is, I think, the basic point we're trying to make.
1: Uh, Jesse, since last time I was on with you, I was giving you all of these cliche Disney movie answers. I decided this time... (laughs) I would bring some numbers to the table just to appease you. Yeah, that's right. Okay, That's right. Watch out, everybody. Um, What are your thoughts on total rebounding percentage or rebounding rate, which is just generally in a game or across the course of a season, what percentage of, of missed shots that your team is collecting? First off, before I even share it with you, do you think that is a legitimate statistic or are you ready to debunk my theory before I even share it?
0: No, it's it's okay. I mean, the thing about it is, if you're a better defensive rebounder, then your numbers will be inflated a little bit because it's much easier to defensive rebound than is offensive rebound. Just because normally defenders have good position. But again, I, I've seen people use it, and so it's fine.
1: Go ahead. Well, I will I will share you with a little number that I found over the last decade. So the last 40 Final Four teams, only three of them made the Final Four without getting at least 50% of the of the missed shots during a game. Uh, it was Syracuse in 2016, the UConn team in 2014 that won it all, and then that VCU team from 2011. Those are the only three teams out of the last 40 that didn't get at least 50% of missed shots and made it to the Final Four. Do you have any guess as to where Kansas's rebounding percentage stands uh, right now, Jesse?
0: Yeah, and I, just to follow up, since you're using us as a team, I think it's... Uh... A, a fair way to do it. I know Bill Self has looked at this number as well. I don't know. I'm going to say probably they're in the 47 or 48% range. But uh, that's me without looking.
1: Well, they are actually right on 50%. 50.0, okay. which ranks 174th in the country. And to me, that is a scary, scary number. Because at the end of the day, like we can talk about the, the Ken Palm being a top 25 offense, being a top 40 defense, which is kind of the the criteria for winning the national championship, at least it kind of checks out. But if you can't rebound the ball consistently enough, I just feel like there's going to be one of those games where it does you in.
0: Well, we'll see. Again, Bill Self, I think, knew what he was doing when he went to the four-guard lineup, knowing that it was going to harm his team's defensive rebounding, but his team potentially could have a higher ceiling on the offensive end. And that kind of what you have to look at, the greater good. What's the greater good for the team? I agree with that. you You kind of trade a... You're gonna say, hey, I give up something defensively to make a, a superpower offense. And we've seen teams in the past make this work. You know, there's been some Duke teams in the past that have done this. You kind of you, you create the Superman offense and you hope that the the defense gets you by, but you're right too. Sylvia de Sosa definitely amps up their particular offensive and defensive rebounding ceiling because he's a guy that has just given them uh more on that end, or in that particular area, than I think they've gotten from other guys. You know, Mitch is a pretty good offensive rebounder. Udoka, at times, has been good on both ends, but uh, as far as consistency goes, from that Big Bowl tournament, we haven't seen anything like what Silvio Sosa provided in those three games because he was off the charts when it came to to grabbing those boards.
1: Yeah, it's it's a it's a skill set that nobody else on this team really has because as good as Yudoka has been with this team, whether it's the way he plays stylistically or the way the team plays around him. I think that's the one thing this year that surprised me from an individual standpoint, maybe more than anything else, is that he wasn't a better rebounder. Like I, I understand why he isn't, and I understand why the numbers aren't higher, but it, it just seems like if, if this team could add that element to them right now, given everything else they have, I think to me it takes them to another level and, and perhaps makes me rethink how far they can uh, potentially make it.
0: Yeah, and before we go too crazy on this, I'm looking at the Ken Palm numbers now. Udoke is 75th nationally in offensive rebounding percentage and 220th nationally in defensive rebounding percentage. So we're not talking about a guy right. that grabs no rebounds. I mean, just to be fair to him, like, this is, this is not a guy that's a total bum on that end. But I think what he is unlike, he's unlike Landon Lucas, who is a very willing, like, gritty player. You know what I mean? A guy that didn't care that he was the dude that had to get all the, all the rebounds. He kind of loved that role. I don't think Yudoko loves it. You know what I mean? I right. think he does it because it's what the team needs. And and every once in a while he gets refreshed, his memory gets refreshed by Bill up to say, Hey that's what the team really needs from you. And then he's better at it again. But like, I don't think he just comes by it naturally that he wants to go underneath and grind and throw elbows and do all sorts of moves to get rebounds. He wants to score. And I think that has kind of been proven over time. And look, we're all different personalities. So this is, this is not a knock on you, Doka and he's done pretty well for it. If you're looking at those just raw numbers, uh, those advanced numbers to start with, but again, he's not a natural one. It's not something that comes just easily to him, even though he's tried to make his do and, and do what he can even, even though you know, it hasn't been the first thing on his mind most times, we've seen him kind of take off on fast breaks sometimes to go get alley-oops when it's like, hey, Yudoka, you know, you're know you the only <laughs> big guy in the game. you got to go back and get the defensive rebound. Uh, the other guys can go run alley-oops too. So, uh, yeah, that's very fascinating, and we'll see how KU kind of goes from here. I, how about this, though, to- Jesse?
1: One, one thing really quick, though, before you move on. Um, a, a way too small sample size number. Silvio De Sosa uh, so far this year is grabbing 26% of offensive rebounds which would be first in the country by a large margin. So there's your way too small of a sample size statistic for the day.
0: Yeah, 26 is insane. (laughs) I mean, that's, I I don't even know what to say He's the greatest
1: offensive rebounder of all time.
0: Yeah, that's like your odometer (laughs) or your speedometer goes to 140 and you're really driving 180. I mean, that's kind of 26% (laughs) offensive (laughs) rebounding percentage. That's... That's completely off the charts. From James, jcomp 14, he says, This team has, quote, little room for error, but just lost Doke and won the Big 12 tournament. Last year, lost Josh Jackson and bounced in the first round. Is this all shooting leadership? What do you think, Nick?
1: I think it's a little bit of both, right? It's something you were just talking about, which is when you can shoot the ball like this team shoots. And I think you may have tweeted this out during the game on Saturday, which was late in the game when everybody was hitting. If this team shoots like this, nobody will beat them. Nobody will beat Kansas when they shoot the way they did the final 10 minutes of that game versus West Virginia. So that's definitely a part of it. You can't bank on it happening every single night, but when it does happen, they become as deadly of an offense as there is in the country. And on the flip side of that, I mean, yeah, it is leadership. And with Devontae, you saw the way he took over the game. It was so reminiscent of the game down in Lubbock from a few weeks before where it's, we're losing, nothing's going right, give me the ball, let me take over. And he did. I mean, he, he pulled up for th- those degree-of-difficulty shots that he's hitting uh, from five feet from beyond the arc. It's, you miss those, and all of a sudden we're thinking, what are you doing? They go down and score, and the game's over. But he hits those with such consistency that it's just it's all hard to chalk it up to anything other than leadership, although it does kind of go hand-in-hand hand with the first part of shooting. But it wasn't just Devante, right? Svee hit some big shots. LeGerald hit some big shots. Malik was, I mean, in fuego all weekend long. <laughs> But yeah, I think there is a leadership aspect that Devontae has. I know a lot of people have have wrote about it. It was a reason why I uh, pinched it on the last uh, uh, SportsBeat KC podcast because C.J. Moore uh, was writing about it, and it's a fantastic piece. If you haven't checked it out, I would highly suggest doing so. But yeah, I mean Devonte's as good of a leader as Bill Self's had in Kansas. So I think both of those aspects. I don't know how much, but they certainly uh, raise your confidence level for this team, especially based off the way they did it in a tournament setting in Kansas City?
0: Yeah, first thing I want to say is that, obviously, it's a Big 12 tournament, so when you talk about a loss to TCU last year, and then KU winning three this year, it's all one-game samples. Again, kind of like talking about the Penn thing. Hey, if you got a 10% chance to win, it doesn't mean you're going to win, but it doesn't mean you're going to lose either. So uh, KU was probably 25% to win that game against TCU and didn't win it. So I'm not really knocking last year's team, but when we talk about shooting, and I know, listen, it's time for KU fans to appreciate how well this team can shoot it from three. Because next year, it's not going to be there. And it's going to be difficult. And you've seen a lot of teams out there. Uh, Kentucky has come on as of late, but it's difficult to score and score at a high level and an efficient level when you don't have three-point shooters. And so this team has the potential to shoot its way to a victory in any game. And for as much as I hear people say, oh, well, the shooting can leave you for one night, all those things, uh, you know, it's been pretty consistent. Let me read you, like, Okay, since the Baylor loss, Baylor shot, KU shot 19% from three against Baylor. Let me read you the three-point percentages since then. 35, 32, 55, 44, 44, 35, 40, 39, 56. That's not many off nights, Nick. No, I mean, that's, no. that's pretty darn good. And people say, well, you can't shoot it that well for six games. Well, KU has shot it that well. I mean, here's the last six games. 44, 44, 35, 40, 39, 56. I mean— Maybe you can. I don't know. Those are, I mean, that's against Texas Tech, Texas, Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State, K State, West Virginia. And again, if we go to the four factors of basketball, we can talk about rebounding a lot. Uh, rebounding is like, I believe, about 20, 20% of the game, I believe, according to the, the four factors from Dean Oliver. But shooting is 40%. And so effective field goal percentage from those three games KU, 63%, 58%, 70%. Outstanding. The opponents, 45 48 46 I mean, this is not complicated, guys. If KU makes three-point shots and then is able to hit from two-point range like it has in these games, get to the rim, uh, get open shots there, and then make some t- some tough mid-range jumpers you were talking about with with vick I'm sorry, not LeGerald-Vick, with Devontae Graham and things like that. You have a great shooting percentage, and you're going to win most of your games. And so for Kansas, it might just be that simple. It might be simple that if you free yourself up for open threes and, and hit those open threes, you're going to have a successful tournament. But again, I don't think this is as dicey. I mean, you can have an off-shooting night. I, I get that. But it's not as dicey as a lot of people think just because this Kansas team can shoot the ball, and it's got four guys on the court at the same time to start the game that definitely can shoot the ball well.
1: I think what scars people more than anything else is that, I mean, you go back last year, to Oregon, go back the year before to Villanova, uh, Wichita State before that. VCU. Uh, well, I'm I'm just going in chronological order.
0: <laughs> yeah, you, know, you know what I mean. Game, like basically,
1: I'm going three games. The last three years they've been eliminated from the tournament. They they were coupled with atrocious shooting nights, right? And and this, I think Stanford in 2014. I don't think they they shot it particularly well that year either. That's what scars people is when the final game of your season and you look at it and you go five of 25 from beyond the arc then you're going to say, okay, that's the problem, right? That's where it's broken, which like, I understand, I understand it to an extent, but when you couple it with the fact that this is the best three-point shooting team that Bill Self's had, so it's better than all of those teams and knowing that other teams have won with shooting in the tournament, to me, it's just not enough of a sample size to point to it and say, that's the problem, you're taking too many threes, you're living by the three, you're dying by the three. That may be the case, but other teams have went through the tournament with that same strategy and cut down the nets.
0: Yeah. It's, let me just say this. It's very difficult to have an efficient offense in today's game without three-point shooting. And you can list it on Ken Palm if you want. If you look at the top ten teams, I mean, I can just go down. Villanova, Purdue, Duke, North Carolina would be the exception because Roy still kind of is old school in that regard. But his is always a team that gets a ton of offensive rebounds and never turns it over. So they kind of beat you with volume. But even keep going back, Wichita State, Kansas, Xavier, TCU, Michigan State, Nevada. I mean, I'm not I haven't listed a team yet other than North Carolina that to my eye, at least, that doesn't shoot a lot of threes and isn't somewhat successful with shooting those threes. So in today's game, we can value a lot of other things. We can talk about a lot of other things. But the bottom line is a. Th- A shot worth three points is very important in today's game, and Kansas has that skill set. Might not have it next year, but it has that skill set this year, and so because of that, it's got a chance. It's got a chance to win a bunch of these games, even when they don't play as well defensively, even when they don't rebound as well, even when they don't get to the free throw line. That's just – I think it's still undersold how important that is, and and people aren't coming to realize that except for teams like in in the Ivy League where – uh, I looked at that league really quickly, and 40% of the shots in the Ivy League are threes. It was the fourth highest mark of any conference. So all those smart kids out east—they've they've uh, they they've figured it out. They understand it. And you can <laughs> you can bet that Penn will understand that same formula as well.
1: Yeah, and uh, another thing that might help if if Malik Newman wanted to at least consider continuing to shoot 68% from three point range as he did in Kansas City, uh, I think that would also help Kansas's chances. <laughs> so just something to consider for Malik over the coming days.
0: Yeah, Malik. If you want to consider shooting and making 68% of your threes from this point forward, just go ahead and consider that. I'm sure uh, I'm sure KU fans would be happy with that. It'd <laughs> be okay. Uh, yeah, from David Stat guy, he says, how concerned should we be about the potential round of 32 matchup? Both NC State and Seton Hall are efficient scoring teams that crash the offensive boards very well. So you talked about the draw a little bit, Nick. What did you think of Seton Hall, NC State as the 8-9 for KU? Uh, NC
1: State didn't really jump out at me all that much. Seton Hall was a team I've watched a couple times this year. Uh, both times I watched them, oddly enough, they, they lost. One was to Creighton, and one, I, I distinctly remember it being on Valentine's Day, and I didn't have a date, so I was sitting at home uh, watching Aww. Big East basketball, which, you know what, that's probably better than anything else I could have possibly done. And I and I remember that game, Trayvon blew it, scored like 37 points, and hit like, I don't know, I think it was seven or eight three-pointers. He just went off. So I thought, if that's the, the lasting impression I have of Seton Hall basketball in my head, Uh, watching a point guard just get really hot from three-point range leaves some fond memories considering what this team does so well, which is a great transition (laughs) from our last conversation.
0: Yeah, it absolutely is. Yeah, I I think you can kind of look at this from two aspects. You can look at it from the predictive measure aspect, which is like how many points will KU be favored in the game, and then you can look at it from a matchup aspect, which I think was what David was doing here. Basically, okay, this team offensive rebounds really well. KU's weakness is defensive rebounding. Uh, That could be something that's exposed. So from a numbers standpoint, Seton Hall is the tougher of the two teams between Seton Hall and C-State. I had them on my AP ballot last week at number 25, if that gives you some indication. So they're right around that fringe top 25 to 30 range when it comes to the predictive metrics. That is the strength they have offensive rebounding-wise. But really, uh, you look down the line with other stuff, I don't know. Again, they allow an average number of threes that's good for Kansas Um, offensively and defensively seems sort of balanced, but nothing really sticks out as something that would really would hurt Kansas. So for, from where I'm looking at it is could Seton hall be a tough matchup for Kansas. Yeah. And I think I looked it up on the, on the predictor last night and Seton hall would be about a six or seven point underdog against Kansas, considering if you give KU a point or so for having a sort of home court in Wichita. So that would be a tougher than average round of 32 game, I think, but as far as the matchup goes, just because the team offensive rebounds well, I don't think that's enough to, to put me over the line. I, I think I'd pick Kansas in that game and wouldn't really think twice about it. And honestly, uh, when I'm talking about high variance, low variance, I'm not seeing much of a high variance from this particular Seton Hall team, especially a team that does not shoot many threes. So that's, to me, that's that's more like KU would be a seven-point favorite, but I would expect KU to either win by two or win by 13, whereas I'm talking about Penn could be 40 or two. You know what I mean? That, that's yeah. kind of the, the this crazier scoring matchup, but... Not to say this is not a tough matchup. Again, second round, you want to be more than a six- or seven-point favorite in that one 8-9 game. That probably won't be the case if KU gets the Pirates.
1: No, and I mean you have to be able to compare it to the other 8-9 matchups. Obviously, you wouldn't have Kansas State in your 8-9 game, but I would rather have Seton Hall and NC State than potentially have Creighton or Missouri or Florida State or Alabama looming. So you have to compare it to what the other one seeds are facing, and I feel like from that aspect, there's nothing that really stands out about either of those teams that would— particularly scare I me mean, I think they, they could be good games but I wouldn't say that Kansas got a, a bad route there uh, with those eight nine games
0: Yep, I would agree with you uh, again I think Seton Hall was the top rated eight seed but again not by much and they basically the committee did a pretty decent job of ranking those eight nines and you didn't see anything crazy out of those out of those particular rankings so I think it's pretty close in there and again six or seven point favorite that's what you can expect if KU's facing Seton Hall in that game let's see Okay, yeah, Matt Parker, he MSP four seventeen. He says, "Please ask Nick how it felt to be probably the only person on Earth to actually not mind, or maybe even like, the terrible TBS bracket show format." I actually did a Facebook Live during the show, so I did not get to uh, to see this or what happened. So you're you have to talk your way through this, Nick. And Matt seems to know something that I don't.
1: Okay, well, I think I should first note that I was just watching this without being on Twitter. And sometimes okay. when you do that, you're not getting the pulse of of the Twitter faction of people who are also watching, so I just I was watching I was watching them do the alphabetical thing. I was like, "Oh, this is kind of cool." so I pull out my phone, I tweet you know I didn't know what to expect, but I kind of enjoy the way they're doing it this year, and I later found out that I was <laughs> literally the only person on the internet who did not have extreme disdain for the way the selection committee was doing it, so I don't know, I guess i People didn't like the way they, they just announced the teams first in alphabetical order. I know that the sound wasn't synced up with, uh, with the video for a while there. So, I, I don't know. I guess I just thought it was a different change of pace. But I also understand that, to me, the selection show is it's there for two hours and then I never think about it again. So, for everybody who is calling me out on Twitter, I question your passion on this subject. Because, again, the, the, the second the selection show is over... I will never think about it again. So that's kind of where I was at on it. I thought it was enjoyable, whatever, I've moved on, but others haven't. <laughs> Clearly Matt has not. This, and I know this, Matt, by the way, so I feel okay in, in raking him over the coals a little bit.
0: That, you, you have a tournament selection hot take right there. <laughs> a, a...
1: I, don't, I don't think it's that hot. It's only hot when you realize that nobody else agrees with you. It's not hot if you didn't know what anybody else was thinking about it. <laughs>
0: That's great. From Jack, the real Jay Becker. He says, if KU made it to the lead eight and the bracket holds, who scares you more, Duke or Michigan State for us, as far as matchups and style? So who would scare you more from KU's aspect, Duke or Michigan State, uh, if you're looking at it from a uh, a big picture view, I guess?
1: Last week, I did my power rankings on national championship contenders. Duke and Michigan State were one and two in that order. <laughs> So me wow. me picking which one of those is a scarier matchup to me is a rather trivial pursuit because I think they are the two best teams in the country. So with that being said, I put Duke number one, so I'll stick with them number one. I mean, they're the two most talented teams in the country. I mean, they both got multiple lottery picks on their team. They both got, well, in the case of Duke, you've got a, a first team All-American and and Marvin Bagley and you've certainly got cases to be made for Miles Bridges and, and Jaron Jackson but from a talent perspective they, they check all the boxes and the advanced metrics for me they're both really balanced I know Michigan State didn't play as tough of a schedule which is why they're a three seed and not a two seed and it's why I have Duke ahead of Michigan State so I, I would say Duke but I think that from that standpoint that, that is as tough of a draw as you could have asked for with a potential Elite 8 matchup versus either of those teams
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'll say Duke as well. I thought Brian Haney made a good point on radio, uh, your colleague there with the uh, JOC Radio Network a couple weeks ago, where he was asked in a Final Four with Seren Petro just who he thought, who he would like to avoid if he was KU in the bracket, who he would not like to see in your bracket. And he said Duke because what Duke reminded him of was the 08 KU championship team, which was some great players that are veterans and the most talented guys that are freshmen. And you kind of have that magical mix together. And we know Bill Self loves to have that sort of uh, that sort of match as well. So, if you look at Duke, I mean, you add a Grayson Allen with a guy like Marvin Bagley and you have yourself the makings of what could be exactly that formula we talked about with Kansas. And as you mentioned, all the advanced metrics love them. They were third Duke was third in my AP poll this final AP poll of the regular season before the postseason starts. So, I'm with you. I think Duke is a tough matchup, but I also agree with you that Michigan State's a tough matchup, and Michigan State makes it sound like KU gets uh, a, uh, a big break there, and the thing about that is, and I wrote this today, no matter which team it is, KU will be an underdog in that game, and that's difficult for Kansas to know that as a one seed, but also, I think it would not be horrible for this particular team, because if you look over the course of this season, this team has played really well when everybody is focused on the opponent, when everybody is focused on... KU and its back up against the wall. You know, this team lost to Baylor, was game down the standings, and then won five straight. This team lost Udoka, and people started to doubt that they could win the Big 12 Tournament, and they won the three games by double digits. There's been so much pressure on KU lately in the Elite Eight games to live up to their seeding, to, to, to validate their season, to make it to the Final Four again for Bill Self. And I'm telling you, this game would be a little bit like 2012 in KU North Carolina. The focus would be on KU's opponent, and it would not be on KU. KU would be an underdog, he would already have made it to a, a point in its season where it was not expected to go about a month ago. The expectation basically would have been met. KU might be able to play with a little bit more freedom, a little bit more looseness. Now, that doesn't guarantee victory. They'd be going against a tough team, but I could see that being a positive for this particular Jayhawk team, which seems to always thrive. We can come up with something that, that, can, that they can use as motivation and a chip on its shoulder. I, I don't know if you see things the same way, Nick, but yeah. uh, I, I at least see it that way, that for the Elite Eight problems that KU has had with the pressure on them, this would be a game where the pressure would not be on them. Yeah,
1: and I think that from that aspect, I agree 100%. The games that scare me are the ones that you could potentially overlook them, like overlooking an Oregon team while you're playing in Kansas City. Right, That was a shoe in win to win in front of a, a nearly home crowd for a chance at a Final Four. That seemed like a shoe in win. Like, And those are the sorts of games in which you could probably, if if you're a player, you could talk yourself into the idea that maybe you're not giving that team as much credence as you should be and i'm not saying that guys aren't focused and guys aren't energized but i mean it's they're humans right and to know that if you were going to have to play for a final four berth against michigan state or duke both of which would probably be betting favorites in those games that's an extra chip on your shoulder. And I'm all for fake motivation. If you need if you need a way to say that nobody was giving you a chance, I love that, it when players good, say hey, that. That's
0: a good term. I think KU sometimes needs that fake motivation. Yeah, you know, absolutely. They, nobody believed in us. And like, this is natural. Like, this won't even be fake. This will be real motivation.
1: Right, right. I'm, I'm with you 100%. So from that aspect, yes, it could serve them well. But with that being said, I still think that from a talent standpoint, those are I mean, they're the two best teams from it, from purely from a talent standpoint that there are in the country. And when you look at the Midwest region as a whole, I mean, between Michigan State having Bridges and Jared Jackson, Oklahoma and Trey Young, uh, Marvin Bagley, Wendell Carter, uh, obviously Grayson Allen, and then Devontae Graham for Kansas, you could make a case that there are seven of the top 25, 30 players in the country who are in the Midwest region.
0: That's pretty good, especially since a lot of those players, you think Jock Landel guys like that don't even make the tournament. So right. we'll go lightning round here, Nick. Uh, Kyle Cornish wanted to know, what are your thoughts on KU? How KU tries to keep the momentum gained while playing without Doke while also trying to play with through a lesser version of him? It's going to be interesting to see how KU tries to build back that rhythm with him, while also getting him used to being a step or two slower and jumping an inch or two lower. So how do you see KU handling this Udoka situation when it seems like he probably is going to try to play Thursday, but we all know with that bulky crazy break brace that he's going to have, he might not look like himself or be able to do the things he was able to do previously. Yeah, it's
1: it's it's difficult to answer without knowing exactly what Dokes going to look like if and when he gets back out there. I know Self said on Sunday that the idea of him being at a hundred percent again this year probably you're going to have to do away with that. So what does eighty percent of Udoka look like? I have absolutely no idea, but. I guess the the real question is, what are they going to do if he's not at one hundred percent? And I, I I don't know. Do you think it's fair to call uh, Silvio a lesser version of Doak? Because I just feel like their styles of play are so different that I don't know if I'd even be willing to go there.
0: Yeah, I don't think I am either. And the thing about Doak is, again, he's had some problems with play calls. I wrote about that against Oklahoma State in the final, the regular season finale in Stillwater, but. Overall, he has better knowledge, and he knows better how to clear angles and, and make space. And so I've had some people come at me and like, is, Do- is DeSosa better than Yudoka? It's like, guys, let's breathe in a little bit here. you know, like this. Let's not go crazy talk on it. So, uh, I mean, KU needs Yudoka. They've played better with Yudoka throughout the course of the season. But, yeah, it'll be fascinating. I, I've kind of gone with the working theory, too, that KU's going to try to get him out there Thursday just to have more information. I mean, just so Yudoka knows how to play with it and just to see if he can do it at all, to see if he'll be available for Saturday's game or if they just need to rest him for another week. So my kind of thought is that Bill Self will try to get him out there, if nothing else, for a few minutes to see how it goes. And if he can continue to go, he'll go. And remember, this is a guy at Texas. Wasn't sure, nobody was sure he going to play with that back injury, and he ended up playing a ton of minutes, dominated the second half against Mo-, Mo Bamba, and showed something from a toughness aspect. So I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. I just think, hey, we'll try him on Thursday and see where it goes from there. But... I definitely think this team, even with a limited Udoka, is much, 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 much more dangerous than a team that only has Silvio De Sosa and Mitch Lightfoot. And part of that is the inexperience I talked about, and part of that is just because of the foul situation. Any given game, those two guys could both get in foul trouble.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think that one thing with with Silvio that's different with him is that with the energy that he plays with, you will always feel his impact. It may not always be a positive impact. There are going to be times when you're thinking, what are you doing, man? But... The energy that he brings is an element that this team, I think, has sorely been missing all year long. So I am very fascinated to see what Bill does with the rotations, how he lets them play off each other. I doubt we'll see much of them in there together, but I don't want to spoil that if, if that's a question that's coming up.
0: Yeah, well, that, that was going to be a quick one here. He, uh, Chris, B-Ball Kansas says, double post possible, Duke is big. Uh, so down the line, honestly, I don't think much double post because of foul trouble, which I talked about before. If you have only a limited number of big men, I mean, right now, James Osinski is the fourth big man still. So I don't think you want to put two bigs in the game very often, if at all. And then for two, I've talked about this as well. This team has gotten so used to the four guard style that's become their identity. And so you don't really want to start up now to play to a different identity than you have all season. So I think not much of it. Thoughts on that, Nick?
1: It's too late. You can't you can't yep. do that now. You can't completely change the style in which you play at the most important juncture of your season. So as as uh, titillating as it may sound, I, I just don't think it's going to happen this year.
0: From Will, can I press charges against Jesse for harassment for, on all of these pen tweets? What do you think, Nick?
1: How many pen tweets did you send? I need to know. I need a number.
0: Oh, uh, I just I just talked about how they were 127th in Ken Palm and the top-rated 16th seed in the last four year or six, last six years, and I tweeted out that Seth Davis said that it was an intriguing matchup. And actually, this morning I saw that uh, who was it? Somebody else. There was another national writer. I think it was from The Ringer. Talked uh, Titus. Yeah, it was Mark Titus talked about uh, a potential 116. The game he was going to watch was Kansas and Penn, just to see if it might happen. Um,
1: so to answer the question, Will, no, you cannot press charges against Jesse <laughs> because I don't think I don't think he broke any laws there. But I, I, it's, you got to break down the games, man. It's your job, right? You got it. Doesn't matter if it's 116. You got to talk about it. You got to break it down and give people stuff to think about.
0: It's what I do, Nick, and you said there's an alter ego radio, Nick. Yeah. I think you need to become Judge Nick. You did so well with that case.
1: <laughs> is it because I ruled in favor of you?
0: Uh, that could be part of it. Okay. I, I, that, doesn't, that did not hurt your cause at all. We'll end with this one from Bryson Stricker at Bry, Bry Strick on Twitter. Who is your favorite person named Nick and your least favorite person named Nick? Uh, let me list off some. I, I googled this because I, you know, no Knicks came immediately to mind uh, that I like. So, you know, I'm looking at famous ones: Nicolas Cage, Nick Nolte, Nick Cannon, uh, Nick Foles. Um, any of those stick out
1: to you? Yeah, Nick Cage sticks out. Uh, <laughs> Face Off is one of the greatest movies in modern cinema history. So, Nick I-
0: Carter. Saban, ooh, I've got lots of maybe here. Nick, Nick Nick Lachey. Oh, maybe
1: boy. I'll tell you what. Twelve-year-old now, let's go ten-year-old. Nick Schwartz would would probably be more favorable to Nick Lachey and Nick Carter, but twenty-six-year-old Nick is going to rule in favor of Nick Cage for my favorite and Nick Schwartz for my least favorite. Unfortunately. Oh,
0: you both don't don't say that. Now, Nick Schwartz is my favorite with a close second. Uh this is for the KU fans out there. The one Nick I forgot would be Nick Collison. That's a right. Great man who always uh talks and in interviews when we come up to him and uh is very generous with his time. So Nicky Bradford. Uh, be-
1: we'll give we'll give Nick Bradford a uh a honorable mention.
0: Honorable mention on that one. That's a good call. Another Nick, uh very famous from KU basketball. Hey, well, you Nick, uh tell folks again uh, that weren't checking out last week or may- that might not know. I know you got your podcast you put up from Rock Talk Sports Talk. Uh just tell us about where they can find those and uh the stuff you'll be doing this week.
1: Yeah, we uh, air every weekday from 3 to 6 o'clock on KLWN right here in Lawrence. So you can listen online at klwn.com. Uh, you can find all of our podcasts on iTunes or SoundCloud. Just search for Rock Chalk Sports Talk. And uh, we'll be we'll be heading down to Wichita on uh, early bright and early Wednesday morning to get you all of your NCAA tournament coverage for the Hawks. So that's right, Jesse. I always like to tout that we are the only sports talk radio show in the world that is 100% to, uh, dedicated to Kansas athletics. So that's quite a few caveats thrown in there, but we're number one of one, and uh, that's a pretty good feeling.
0: Yeah, just like last week, you're the number one sports talk radio show about KU from three to six on Monday through Friday, which we established <laughs> as well. But no, in all seriousness, uh, Nick does great work, brings on some great guests from all over the country. And uh, those podcasts are must listen to, especially for the people that check out this one. Uh, if you're out of the area and liking or wanting to get more KU coverage, it's a great place to go to to see who he's been talking to. And. Uh, like you said, Nick, it's going to be a lot of coverage from the tournament coming up here because these are the games that matter and these are the games that people remember. So, any final thoughts? Any you want to throw a KU no. prediction out? Well, we got yeah, we got to
1: do it? two things before we go. I think uh, you got to give a KU prediction and we got to give our final four and national championship. It's only fair, right? It's it's uh, tournament week. You haven't filled yours out, yet, have you? You haven't. I haven't filled, filled it out yet.
0: Honestly, I'm I'm, I'm going to pick Virginia. I know that's not the uh, uh they're number one in across the board on the rankings, so I won't get cute with it. I'll pick Virginia in that, and I'm going to reserve the Quick Scout pick because I don't want to change it up from what it's going to be, and I haven't done it yet. That's so fine. give me yours. National title pick and uh, okay, and um, pick for
1: this is This is kind of weird because I put Duke as my number one in the power rankings, but I, I go off feel when I'm filling out my bracket. <laughs> I go off feel. So my final four, I have Virginia, Gonzaga, Villanova, and Michigan State. And I have Michigan State beating Virginia in the title game. I have KU. This one's this one's going to sting a little bit. I have KU, once again, losing in the Elite Eight to Michigan State. Just to oh, keep up I, with tradition, right?
0: I also saw that three of the four ESPN analysts that I saw uh, had Michigan State winning the title as well. So that will be a very popular pick. And again, I think that could fuel a potential KU game there a week from Saturday if it happens. Because... KU all year has performed very well when it has not been the pick and had something to be motivated to play for. And that would definitely be motivation if they were a huge underdog and not many people's pick to win that particular Elite Eight game. Lots of work to do before then, Nick. So it'll be fun to be along with the journey and see what happens with this Kansas team. But thanks again for uh, for joining us, Nick. And we appreciate appreciate having you on. It's a pleasure as
1: always. Thanks for allowing me to come on, Jesse.
0: All right, guys. Uh, for Nick, this is Jesse. We're going to wrap up the Sports BKC podcast. Be sure to tune in for another episode. Excellent. SeatGeek is the easiest way to find the best deals on tickets to pretty much any live event. Concerts, sports, theater, comedy, whatever you want.
1: Download the SeatGeek app today and enter promo code SEATS to save $20 on your first purchase.